Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And as promised, I have got the second part of this big first off-season mailbag. Yes, I know that it's technically not the off-season and there are teams still out there playing baseball, but for you, Sorry, not to rub it in like that, but for the Rockies, it's obviously, we're into the offseason, we're into thinking about and talking about next season. In fact, we've probably been in that mode for a little while, but there are some things that are now more concrete, some information that we have, and we're going to take more of a deeper look at next year's roster and so on in some of these conversations that we've got on the table today. So let's get right into it with the first question. We've only got a couple, but these are big questions I wanted to get into, so... This first one comes from Dan, who has a classic baseball question. Who's on first? But no, seriously, Drew, who's playing first base? Who do you see getting, he says, the most uh, playing time at first base next season? This is a great question and something I've talked about a couple of times before. And even though we have more concrete information, for example, that Charlie Blackman will be back, which even though he doesn't play first base, does impact to this uh, to some extent because he's going to get a decent amount of time at designated hitter. In fact, again, all players being healthy, I would expect him to get the bulk of time at DH. But that caveat is the main reason why I will almost certainly be wrong uh, with whatever answer that I give you here, right? So how I've got it drawn up, again, assuming everybody's healthy day one of the season, of of 2024, opening day, I would have Chris Bryant in right field, which does hinder your outfield defense a little bit. He's not terrible out there, but he's not great. But you hope with an even more confident Brenton Doyle next to him in center field, maybe that can make up for it. And then that Jones is going to be getting better and better and left. So those guys are going to be able to take up the majority of the territory, right? But this is so, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that no one's traded in the offseason and that you get a pretty solid spring training out of a Lauris Montero, at least to the point where you're not concerned about him coming into the season. He finished very, very strong. And we'll get into trade talks and possibilities and the shifting around in the offseason. Again, I'm just looking at the roster as it is now. I would have Montero on first. Now, he is a work in progress there defensively. I've seen him get better and better. He's nowhere near as good as Michael Tolia is, but Tolia hasn't proven that he can hit at the major league level yet. Uh, Montero hasn't totally proven that, but is on his way to. And then, of course, there's the Hunter Goodman factor. If he comes out and has a monster spring training, is that where you, again, consider trading either of these other guys or getting him out there? He can play a little outfield, too. If Chris Bryant is hurt, that's when you start making those moves. But as it's set up, I'm assuming kind of normal off-seasons and spring trainings for everybody, and that Goodman and Tolia are going to be your minor league depth, that you hope they're proving themselves well there, that they're doing kind of what Nolan Jones was doing at the beginning of this season and really knocking on the door while Montero is getting his opportunity. And then if it turns out that this sort of last couple of months of the season were not indicative of anything and it's just not working out with Montero maybe at that point you turn the page and you go with one of these guys I think that's the best way to set it up 
but I really don't know who's going to get the most playing time at first base. It could end up being Chris Bryant if, especially, so, so where this gets really interesting, right, is if Montero Goodman and Tolia are all doing fine, right? But one of these remarkable outfielders that the Rockies have in their system emerges. Yankee Fernandez, probably a little early for him. He struggled at the, the end of last season in double A, even though it was a quick rise to get there. He's still only 20 years old, so probably a bit early for him. We all know that Zach Veen spent most of the season hurt, but he's got such an advanced profile and, and body type and all of those things. He could be a guy where, if not on opening day, a month into the season, you're looking at Zach Veen in right field very seriously. And if Chris Bryant is healthy and Montero's not hitting, then Bryant goes to first, right? So there are a lot of different ways in which this could end up being somebody that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I will say there aren't a ton of guys in the system who are likely to come up and, and be that corner guy right now. Uh, Aaron Schunk and Sterling Thompson are both guys who've played third, I don't think they've played a ton of first. I don't know how comfortable they'd be there. Thompson doesn't have a ton of defensive value, at least according to the reports that I've read in general, but absolutely has the bat. So I do think you're probably looking at Montero. I will say that's a best case scenario, is that he emerges and locks that position down, proves himself to be capable defensively, so that you're taking advantage of the fact that the rest of your infielders are really remarkable defensively, and he becomes a kind of 25 to 30 home run hitter with gap-to-gap power and a lot of doubles that we've all sort of seen the possibility of, but hasn't totally played. It's played out in the minors, but it hasn't played out at the big league level just yet, but it was starting to. So if that really takes off for you, and then you can start plugging in guys like Goodman or Tolia whenever and whenever... Uh, did I say whenever, twice, wherever, whenever it makes sense for you, right, as a team? Or like I said, if you, you need the pitching, that's when you decide to start moving on from some guys. All right, this next question comes in from, where did I just put it? Uh, Steven says, you got any free agent starting pitchers that you like? This was one of the questions. This and the last one I'm going to end on today are the reason why this had to get split up into two, because... It's tough to short this conversation, so let's just begin it and let's get as much on the table and a few things out of the way as possible, right? Let's. Just, I've just got the list of free agent starting pitchers in front of me based on how much money they're making right now. You're not going to get Shohei Otani. Don't even consider that. Marcus Stroman has a player option at $21 million, which is probably a little bit more than he's worth. The Cubs are building something there. And so at least in terms of pure like war, what is he worth to that clubhouse, to that team, whatever, uh, I could see them picking that up. And again, that's probably not the market you want to play in, though I will say of all of these guys that the Rockies shouldn't get, the one I'd be happiest if they just randomly ended up with somehow would be Marcus Stroman. There's always been something about his kind of attitude, which I'm not sure would 100% vibe with the tradition, uh, the history that the Rockies have here, but that I do think would work very well at Coors Field. He's also had uh, a couple of pretty good games at Coors. He has decent numbers there, uh, but he's the type of guy who I think could handle it well. That said, as I've said many times before, I don't think they should be spending money on, for example, Clayton Kershaw, Young Jin Ryu, uh, even a guy like Charlie Morton, who's got a club option and is you know about to be 40 years old, but you know he might get paid. He's still pitching well. He's, the club option's 
20 million, which is a lot for a guy that age, but he's still pitching well and that team's still playing well. So they might just decide to go ahead and do it out there. You know, I don't think they should be in the business of entertaining even like a Julio Urias or uh, who are these other guys? Alex Wood is, uh, well, he's not as old as I thought. Man, Alex Wood's been around forever, still only being 33 years old. And maybe that's somebody who, if his value is starting to drop, that's where you first start to look. Like, that's your top end, right? Guy who's making $12.5 million this year, according to SpotRack, has been worth about $5.9 million, based again on that dollar per war, right? So if you can get him for $5 million, a guy who's a lefty, who's had some success in the league, who's been on some winning teams, you know, might have some veterany experience type of things that allow him to be successful at Coors Field. But again, you're always rolling the dice with that. And that's why higher investments just tend to be eh, maybe not such a great idea. Another guy who's been really good for a long time, who's getting up there in age, and so you might be able to get him on the cheap. But again, to what extent is that a good idea? If he's declining, is putting him at Coors Field such a great idea? But Carlos Carrasco is somebody I've really liked. He's 36. He's going to be uh, 37 midway through next season. You know, he's still been pretty good. Uh, Spot rack season is worth about $6 million. But again, I don't think that's what you want to be spending on a guy like that. You're nowhere near being in the sweepstakes on Aaron Nola. Don't even think about something like that. The guy's going to be a $20 million plus, maybe a $25 million plus pitcher because he's hitting free agency at 30 years old and he's been absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't be surprised to see Philadelphia shell out the, the big money to keep him. Again, Lucas Giolito, uh, because he's still under 30, that's probably out of your price range, though he hasn't been an ace-ace. He's been a $10 million pitcher. If you really think he's the guy, would I be you know mad if they picked up Lucas Giolito? Probably not. I'd be like, well, that's kind of interesting, right? Especially if they got him for you know what he's worth. But if you've got to pay a tax on a guy like that, and instead of paying him $10, $11 million, you're paying him $15 million and you're counting on him to turn your friend like no Giolito's not gonna totally turn this uh, starting pitching rotation around all by himself you can't do it that way uh, and again you're not in on the the sunny gray stuff that is not something even at 34 years old not something where you want to get into the mix there he's gonna make probably big money but on a shorter contract Nowhere near Blake Snell. Leave that alone. You're not getting a guy who coming off a Cy Young caliber season, whether he wins the thing or not. Not the type of market you want to be playing around in. And I would say, again, uh, Severino is a guy that you're just probably not in on a little bit too rich. It's over that $10 million mark. Now, could you get a deal on a guy like Kyle Gibson? Is that somebody that Baltimore would be willing to let leave? Again, now that these guys, some of them are playing on teams uh, that are maybe willing to spend a little bit more money, might want to stay in a place that's comfortable. It's interesting with Gibson because he's 36 years old. So again, you might be able to get a deal, but it may not be the best idea. You see the problem with spending money on starting pitching and free agency. Like which one of these guys is the guy? Is it Jordan Montgomery who's having a phenomenal season in Texas and they might pick him up anyway, but he also might just get priced out of your range, especially if he's going to charge a Coors Field tax. Guy might have his choice to go anywhere he wants. Probably not going to come here. 
James Paxton's options might be a little bit more limited. He hasn't, uh, you know, quite had the last couple of seasons uh, the way he did a, a few years ago in Seattle. At 35 years old, you might expect to see some decline this year. He's seen by Spotrac to be worth about $9 million. It's probably more than you want to be doing there. Uh, so I really think, you know, you're going past guys. Michael Lorenzen was an all-star this year and is on a team that's probably willing to pay him now to keep him around in Philadelphia. If not, he might go out there and test the waters, but if that's something somebody wants to overpay on, you don't want to be in the market of chasing a guy who just had a great season and it, the market is hot on him when that may be the best season of his career and then you're going to be stuck with that contract, Right. You come down here to guys like Frankie Montas and Tyler Molly, like they could be in on those guys a little bit. But I really think, you know, you, you got to be looking a little. Here's an interesting one. Brad Keller, the Kansas City, has been okay, uh, but he's still young-ish. He's 28. You know, there's an interesting history of the Rockies picking up 28-year-olds out of Kansas City who've only been okay. He's named Jorge De La Rosa. You know, SpotRack sees him as worth about $3.7 million, and he's been making five seven. So if you can pay him somewhere in that neighborhood and get a couple of those guys, maybe you go out and uh, you, you can get a deal on somebody like Vincent Velasquez. He's having a very nice year, but under the radar in Pittsburgh. Uh, is getting up there in age, like getting up there in age, 32. Goodness, I'm about to turn 37, so I should stop that. <laughs> You know, uh, has the shine come off of a guy like Kenta Maeda? Would he even be interesting, uh, interested in giving it a, a try? Julio Tehran is a guy I've always liked at 33 years old. He's having a nice season, but again, on a team that had some success and might be willing to bring him back in Milwaukee. But if you could get a couple of those guys, so that's where I would say, for example, with just the guys we've talked about, and there are a few others down there who, you know, uh, we could get into Mike Myers, Mayers, Myers, I'm not 100% sure how to say it. Uh, you know, is Dallas Keuchel really having a, some kind of comeback? And would it be interesting to kick the tires on him at 36 years old? But with just the numbers that we've got, right, I would much rather, for example, spend four or five million on Julio Tehran and four or five million on, uh, who was I saying earlier? Brad Keller. Then 10 million on, or 12 million or 15 million on Lucas Giolito. Or uh, James Paxton, right? Kyle Gibson. Now, it's not that it's my money. It's that if I'm the GM and I'm trying to figure, you know, I'm trying to spread out the liability here so that if one of these guys comes to Coors Field and just mentally can't handle it or physically can't handle it or it just doesn't happen to work out or gets hurt or whatever else, right? Well, then at least you've got the other one. And then I would try to go out and find some of these other guys down here who are making, you know, less than that and might be able to be had for even less than that. Luke Weaver, not a good year, but does he rebound? A guy like Joe Ross is someone I've looked at before and been interested in. Uh, I do think those are the types of guys who are, both those guys are still 30 years old. They've had some success in the league, but they've also been knocked around a bit the last couple of years. 
pick up a bunch of those guys and like I said maybe spend some money but on the Julio Terrans of the world on the Vincent Velasquez's of the world the Brad Kellers and and those types of pitchers maybe all the way up to a Lucas Giolito type if it's at 10 12 million but I think he's probably going to get a little bit more than that and at that point you just it's really not worth it to be that invested in one particular starting pitcher you know and and so I think for a number of reasons not just because the the if it doesn't work out but also because it doesn't solve your problem you're not one good starting pitcher away from competing you're three or four good starting pitchers away from competing so if they were to manage to go out and get two guys they spent a little bit of money on and then two or three guys they spent basically league minimum on some veterans that they're hoping can rediscover themselves understanding that Coors Field is not the best place to rediscover yourself but if you do it you know some guys have managed like Chad Cool got a nice little deal out of a, a decent season here and so you can make it happen especially you know Weaver and Ross are still just 30 years old there's still you know maybe some juice left in their tanks if you can get them out here and show that they can still go a little bit but uh that again you, to say are there any free agent pitchers that you like the reason that i have to go through the whole list is to say all of that you're not disappointed if somehow they end up with a guy like marcus stroman but that doesn't turn you into competitors and that takes up a lot of your payroll similar but less so with a guy like giolito that's why i think you look that next list down and a lot of times those free agents don't really pop off the page at you and you can't get overly attached to any one of them, though I have always kind of liked Julio Tehran. Could I have just answered that entire question by saying Julio Tehran? <laughs> Maybe I should, have been, I should be one of those people. Uh, all right, and this is the last one for today because, like I said, this is another really big one, but we're going to break down the Rockies' roster as it currently stands. So Will says the Rockies are still a couple of roster spots short on their 40-man when they need to put 60-day IL players on it for the offseason. Who else is likely DFA'd or taken off of it? So to get everybody up to speed, the Rockies announced that they had outrighted, in other words, taken off of the roster, Matt Carasetti, a right-handed reliever, Harold Castro, who played most of the season at second base this year, and their backup catcher, Austin Wins, which puts them at 37 players on the 40-man roster. But as Will mentioned, there are five players on the 60-day IL who are going to need to be added to the uh, roster or cut themselves. Lucas Gilbreth, Austin Gomber, Armand Marquez, Ryan Rollison, and Antonio Senzatella. Now, the team will not, under any circumstances, be cutting Armand Marquez. They just signed him to an an extension, and I would be absolutely shocked if they got rid of Antonio Senzatella. I would also be pretty darn surprised, especially considering that he finished the season fairly well if they cut Austin Gomber. I don't think he's going to make a ton in arbitration. So, you know, I think it's still going to be under $2 million for him. Uh, so I don't think there's a, a lot of incentive either for the spot or the money to get rid of Gomber. Rollison and Gilbreth are not out of the question that they could be the two to go. It would be brutal on both counts, Rollison having been uh, a high round draft pick. He was a lower first round draft pick, but still uh, the Rockies first pick that year and, and someone who showed quite a bit of potential throughout his minor league career. That said, he's experienced some 
pretty extreme injuries over the last couple of seasons that have cost him a lot of time. And this is one of those things where I'm not a doctor. I don't know any of the inside stuff. It's it's kind of like with the David Dahl thing, where at some point you just go, hey, we love the talent. We spent a first round pick on him. We we'll maybe even like the guy, like the player, whatever else you may like about him. I don't know, Ryan, as well. But if you don't think it's going to happen, you know, continuing to, to give him a roster spot and, and throwing him on the 60-day IL could be tough. Now, Gilbreth is a guy I know they like. A Colorado guy, brutal that he couldn't get back out there this year. Had a fantastic season the year prior. It's tough to find quality lefty relievers uh, who have you know success at Coors Field and and so I don't think he's somebody that you want to cut uh, so I could see them maybe taking a look at some other guys and again this is why this question had to be a little bit longer we got to go through a lot of the 40-man roster right now Chase Anderson's on there I think he's a guy they want to bring back but not completely safe uh, Daniel Bard and his nine million and the way he finished the season is he somebody who gets traded is he somebody who considers retirement any number of interesting things could happen there but I wouldn't be shocked if he's just right back there with the nine million next year you're not doing anything with Jake Bird. Ty Block is another guy who's borderline, right? You could understand uh, not bringing him back. He'll probably make a little bit more money, certainly than league minimum. You're not saving a ton there. Uh, I don't think they want to do anything with Noah Davis right now. I think they're very happy the way, with the way he finished the season. But again, someone who's not yet proven himself. Uh, I don't. I would say the exact same sentence about Tommy Doyle and Ryan Feltner, all guys who I think they like. Uh, and would prefer to keep, but aren't totally safe. Uh, Chris Flexen, again, somebody who I they're not married to. I know that they liked his attitude and stuff, but, you know, not someone that you have to keep at the expense of one of those other guys. If it was me, I'm not keeping Chris Flexen on the roster over a guy like Ryan Rollison or even Lucas Gilbreth. Right, despite the fact that one's a starter, one's a reliever. Uh, I think Gavin Hollowell has shown nicely enough for himself that he should get a little more look. I think Evan Justice, the same. Carl Kaufman is a guy I could see being in danger here. Another high round draft pick that I know they like. And he had a rough season. I will say he was thrown in the fire as much as anybody this year. Uh, but he really didn't show a lot in terms of signs that he was turning it around or figuring it out or figuring out ways to be successful. So again, I think that's an internal decision. If you get enough coaches around looking at him and you go, yeah, we don't think it's going to work with this guy. I wouldn't be totally shocked though. Uh, again, because of the the quality of his pick, Nick Mears is a guy who I think has shown well for himself. And it's tough when you're kind of a middle reliever who hasn't done anything super exciting, but I think they like him and would like to see a little more. Same with Riley Pint. Again, the, the story that everything he's been through, the fact that he uh, did throw the ball pretty well in AAA this year, it wouldn't be shocking, shocking, but it yeah, that probably shouldn't happen. Connor Siebold's a guy I could see. It, there, so there are obviously like a lot of these pitchers, right? These guys who are either were the fifth rotation starter throughout the year or kind of in the bullpen who were fine to bad a lot of the times. You know, you're not getting rid of, say, a guy like Victor Vodnik. No way. That's somebody they brought in that they 
are really excited about. But most of these other guys, you know, they, they really like this automatic cook. You're not messing with that. Jake Bird, like I said, obviously Justin Lawrence isn't going anywhere. But all of the rest of these guys are guys you could justify saying, you know, it, it's not going to work right now. So the question really is going to come down to, do they pick one of these guys who might make a little bit more money and say, it's not going to be Gomber. <laughs> that was just the first example. I was like, just because I think he is a guy who might make about $2 million in arbitration. So you'd save yourself $2 million, And if you thought you could spend that on another starting pitcher. But I do think that they're still kind of in on the Gomber experiment and would very much for lots of reasons like uh, to, to get a bit more value out of Austin Gomber. But, you know, I don't think there's a ton of money to be saved anywhere here. So I do just think it'll come down to which of these players, if it was me, you know, I just was really not impressed with what I saw out of Carl Kaufman this year. Uh, he seems like a really nice kid, <laughs> you know, and all that stuff. But I just didn't, like I was saying earlier, I, I did not see anything that made me think, yeah, he's about to turn the corner. I've never been the highest on Connor Siebold, though he did have his stretches where he was at least an innings eater, and that's pretty valuable. So, you know, that's somebody that, okay. And then as I was saying, some of these other guys, the, the kind of veteran guys who are okay, I'm in no way attached to Chris Flex and Chase Anderson Ty Block is probably one guy, and yeah, I'll admit it's the Colorado connection, and he had a nice little stretch this year as well. The fact that he's a lefty, the fact that he's comfortable either starting games or coming out of the bullpen, really good attitude, all of that kind of stuff that he has had success, uh, even on some good Giants teams before coming here, and, and that he likes being a, like, he, he's a kind of a quiet leader type of guy. So of all of those non-exciting veterans, I guess you might call them. What a, what a terrible category. Uh, Ty Block is probably the guy I would most like to see come back. And again, that's probably going to cost you over a million, between one and two million, as opposed to some of these rookies who are making league minimum or whatever. So I can understand going that route as well. But it is going to be interesting. Uh, the Rockies have this strange... Like you just, you heard me just run through a, a slew of pitchers who it's like, yeah, they whatever, right? They could get rid of this guy. But then on the flip side, when we're talking about who plays first base, you've got like six names of guys that are like, well, he needs playing time and he needs playing time and he needs playing time. So I guess the final thought to leave you with on this one is that they almost have to make some trades this offseason. And I'm not the biggest, you know, you got to wheel and deal. You got to make the trades. You got to win the offseason, right? You rarely find that the big winner at the trade deadline and the big winner of the offseason is also the big winner of the World Series, right? That, that rarely, it does happen, but not as often as certainly uh, some in the media might have you believe. However, just based on the way the roster is now with the Rockies having more quality position players than there are positions and too many pitchers on the roster who are just like I don't know he might be a thing like you've got to do better than that from a pitching standpoint and you don't have enough spots for all of these position players to play I could see rolling into spring training with it being close to that but then if guys are starting to have a hot spring or a hot beginning of the season you got to start moving on stuff but I, I think even this offseason they've got to at least make one or two trades of position players four pitchers and considering what they did at the deadline which was precisely that move out five guys and bring back only pitchers I do think that they're going to do some of that but 
Obviously, we need to get to the actual offseason for that to begin to happen. But I think we've laid it out there very nicely with these couple of Q&As. The groundwork is ahead of the Colorado Rockies, what they need to do, what they've got, uh, who fits in where, uh, how they can maybe save a little bit of money, how they can get their roster into a good spot so that the guys that are coming off the IL can be added back into it. I think they're in a decent place with all of that, but there are going to be some tough decisions coming up in one way or another. They just have to get more pitching in here. So whether it's spending in free agency, as we talked about today, or maybe you trade for somebody who's already got some money on their contract, and that's how you end up taking that money onto your books, but you're moving out some of these position player prospects with value in order to get that. There are a number of ways they can do it. Let's see what happens next. Thank you for listening into this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I really do appreciate you all listening to these episodes, especially during the offseason. I hope you will check out the YouTube channel where we've been doing a lot of fun stuff. I've been really proud of the Rockies historical perspectives that I've been making for that channel. So I really do hope you'll go subscribe. Uh, watch the videos, give them a little like, leave a comment. That stuff really does help more and more people find them. I know it might seem silly, but the way YouTube works, that stuff helps a lot. So any little bit of time that you can take to uh, go and support uh, the YouTube side of things, I really, really do appreciate it. Other than that, I can only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out of there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.